Thank you for that. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good work, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps." Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Our text this morning comes from a statement made in verse 15. He says, For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again today for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, that your word would go deep into hearts for any without Christ, that they would see that they are sinners in the sight of God and are in need of the only Savior that you have provided, your own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May they turn to Jesus and be saved today. We pray for believers, challenge hearts. We shouldn't be living like those who are suffering through the ignorance of foolish men. Have your way in every life, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Ignorance. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of ignorance. The reality is everybody's ignorant about some things. There is nobody who knows all things. You look up the definition of ignorance, it means destitute of knowledge, uninformed or untaught, unknown or undiscovered, knowledge unlearned, untaught or unenlightened. There are so many things that all of us are ignorant of. For instance, if we were to take this tremendous group, and we've got some really smart people in this crowd, but if we took just this group right here and we put all of our knowledge together, we'd still be ignorant of some things. There is no way even a group this size could know all things. It's just not going to happen. By the way, scammers count on that. They count on you being ignorant. I mean, you heard about that Nigerian prince who died and his wife is going to send you an extra couple million dollars in your bank account. Just give your bank account numbers to them. 
they have got it all worked out. Listen, I know of a Christian school principal whose school was needing money, what Christian school isn't, and thought, here's a way that we can be on easy street. Didn't work out like that. Ignorance. Matter of fact, you go back, advertisers uh, also use the ignorance of foolish men. Some of you remember years and years ago, you got to be kind of old to remember this, but ivory soaps ads went like this. It's pure. How do we know that? Because it floats. And that sounded good. People went out, they bought ivory soap because it floated in the water. That meant it was purer. But what it really meant was there were air bubbles in it. That's why it floated. I read about a freshman at the Eagle Rock Junior High was at the Idaho Falls Science Fair back in 1997. He was attempting to show how conditioned that we have become to the alarmed pseudoscience and weather and other things that are mentioned. Matter of fact, I heard a new term just the other day, heat storms. There's no rain with a heat storm. There's just heat with a heat storm. And I thought, great, now we got another thing to worry about. No, it's the same old stuff. These people use all kinds of terms. We've heard all kinds of different weather terms dealing with biblical proportions. They don't have a clue what they're talking about. They've never read the Bible. Biblical proportions is not just something that's a little extreme. I mean, millions die when you get into biblical proportion. But anyway, this student was trying to prove that the junk science, how it keeps us scared. And so it decided to conduct a little experiment. And the project that he was doing, he urged students, or I'm sorry, urged different people that he had come across to sign a petition demanding strict control or total elimination of the chemical dehydrogen monoxide. Now, for plenty of good reasons. And he gave the reasons why it should be under strict control or even eliminated. Number one, it can cause excessive sweating and vomiting. Hydrogen monoxide. It is a major component to acid rain. That was number two. Number three, the hydrogen monoxide can cause severe burns in its gaseous state. Number four, Accidental inhalation of dehydrogen monoxide can kill you. Number five, it decreases the effectiveness of the brakes in our cars. Number six, dehydrogen monoxide has been found in tumors of terminal cancer patients. So after sharing those six reasons why this needs to be strictly regulated or eliminated... He asked 50 people if they would support a ban on the chemical. 43 said yes. Six were undecided. Only one of the 50 knew what the chemical makeup was of dehydrogen monoxide, known on the chemical scales as H2O. Water. Just water. By the way, the title of his prize-winning project was How Gullible Are We? And he felt the conclusion was obvious, and he was right. Just like a lot of the stuff with COVID. Oh, to be sure, people died, but there was an awful lot of stuff that went on. 
people just living on fear of what they heard. The truth is, even the people that were pushing things to fight it didn't have a clue what they were even talking about. And those that did should go to jail, but that's another matter. Some things are more important to know than other things. I can live my whole life, for instance, without knowing how many stars there are in the universe. I don't have a clue. I mean, I do like the evolutionists. Oh, billions and billions. You know, the evolutionists, that's the key to evolution, billions and billions. How do you know this happened? Well, it was over billions and billions of years. How do you know that? They don't know that. Let's make it up. Sounds good. And so people don't want to believe in God, believe in billions and billions. I don't need to know what the chemical code is for silver or gold, and I think I'll still be all right. The reality is most all of us know an awful lot about the worthless. I mean, there's an awful lot of trivia up here. Anybody here got trivia? I've got my favorite trivia questions. I know Brother Bryant has his favorite trivia questions. I mean, I can even, I can even tell you the name of Sergeant Preston's horse in Sergeant Preston of the Yukon. And see, a whole bunch of you don't even know what that was. That was a TV show back in the 50s. Back in the, and I know the name of his horse. His dog's name was King. Now, you really want to know what his horse's name was, don't you? How many remember Sergeant Preston of the Yukon? Oh, do you know his horse's name? No. <laughs> his horse's name. Now, the horse wasn't on the show very much because normally it was during the winter that the thing was filmed. But during the summer, and he'd be riding his horse, his horse's name was Rex. Rex means king. So the reality is both his horse and his dog were named king just in two different languages. And now you have learned all the stupidity that you need to know for today. There is the ignorance of wise men. See, wise men are ignorant of things that are non-essential. There's a whole lot of things we just don't need to know. It doesn't matter to know. But then there's the ignorance of foolish men. People who are ignorant of essential things. As a matter of fact, we see they come by it honestly. For according to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. As far as the foolish man is concerned, that everything he knows is the only essential thing that anybody needs to know. And you can't teach them anything because they have no fear of God. But the essential truths of life, a lot of people who've got a lot of degrees after their name don't know. For instance, one essential truth is who is God? Another essential truth is how can we know him? Another essential truth is how can we please him? You see, the truth is not knowing those things. Oh, you may still make a lot of money. You may live in a fine house. But when it comes to eternity, if you don't know him... You burn in hell for eternity. And there is no fine house. There's only the pain and suffering of the damned for eternity. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. But ye have not so learned Christ. 
In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Before I got saved, I was ignorant of who God was. I was ignorant of how to know God. Oh, I had my own ideas, but my ideas were all wrong, and I didn't even know it. I can remember getting together with other people like me who also didn't know God. And we'd talk about the eternal from time to time. And we would espouse our great wisdom, which was nothing more than the ignorance of foolish men about God. Because we didn't know the Bible. We didn't know what it said about anything. We find that when the Apostle Paul went to Athens, oh, that was a city of great human knowledge. And he goes up to Mars Hill and he sees statues to all the gods that they could find that different people would worship. But in case they missed one, they had one statue and the label on it was to the unknown God. They didn't want to leave any God out, so they figured there might be one that they didn't know. And so they had that one. And Paul says, I want to talk to you about that one. He said in verse 30, in the times of this ignorance, God winked at. Notice ignorance. The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Well, they had a lot of gods that they worshiped. None of them required the repentance of man for their sins. And yet, that's exactly the God that he introduced to them. So what's the problem? What was their problem? They didn't know God. They did not know God. Now, the atheist says there is no God. I believe it was B.R. Lakin who used to tell the story about a shoeshine boy over around the Atlanta airport. And there was a businessman dressed in a nice suit, came up was while he was waiting for his flight. He got his shoes uh, shined. And while they were talking, the boy said something about God. And the man said, well, son, don't you realize that there is no God? He said, well, mister, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, but you done blabbed it out of your big mouth. (laughs) Thought he was so smart, but he wasn't. The agnostic says there may be a God, but I don't know who he is. And since I don't know who he is, you can't know who he is either. Agnostic, it simply means to know nothing. They know nothing and admit it and think that they're sounding smart and admitting that they know nothing. But God says, I have written these things that you might believe that Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, uh, let me get the verse right. First John chapter five and verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If you're going to know the true God, you're going to have to know him through his word. It is why he gave his word. You see, they didn't know him. They were ignorant of God. Because as many do today, they rejected the truth of the word of God. You say, preacher, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, number one, it says it is. It says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Or in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, And knowing that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
The Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Over and over, the Bible declares its truthfulness, and mankind has never proved it wrong in anything. Now, don't misunderstand. There are a lot of theories of mankind that don't go along with the Scripture. But there are theories of mankind that disagree with the other theories of mankind. There are basically three main theories of evolution, and each one of them prove that the other two are impossible. But we know it's not possible, not because of the theories of evolution, but the Word of God says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that's enough for us. His Word is always true. So the Bible makes some strong claims for itself, and it's never been proven wrong, historically, scientifically, or any other way. You know, it's amazing to me how people want to make this big deal about the Bible not being a science book. Well, it's not primarily a science book, but everything it says about science is true. It's not primarily a history book, but everything it says about history is true. Things happened exactly the way the Word of God says it happened. As a matter of fact, there was a man by the name of Sir William Ramsey. He didn't believe the Bible. He wanted to prove that it was not true. He was sure of it. He had read the book of Acts. And knowing that part of the world over around the Mediterranean, he figured that all that Luke wrote about the travels of Paul could not have taken place in the time frame that it is described in the book of Acts. So he decided to spend a year to try to follow the footsteps of the Apostle Paul as recorded in Acts by Luke. By the end of the year, he had come to the conclusion that the Bible surely is true. It had to happen exactly the way that Luke had recorded it in the book of Acts. And Sir William Ramsey became not only a Christian, but a great apologist, one who defended the scripture and the word of God. There was a man by the name of Robert Dick Wilson, former professor of Semitic philology at Princeton Theological Seminary. And he wrote, after 45 years of scholarly research in biblical textual studies and in language study, I have come to the conviction that no man knows enough to assail the truthfulness of the Old Testament, where there is sufficient documentary evidence To make an investigation, the statements of the Bible in the original text have stood the test. Noted Dr. J.O. Kinnaman said, Of the hundreds of thousands of artifacts found by the archaeologists, not one has ever been discovered that contradicts or denies one word, phrase, or sentence of the Bible, but always confirms and verifies the facts of the biblical record. Let me give you an interesting thought, by the way. The Mormon church has spent millions of dollars trying to study archaeology from the Book of Mormons, not the Bible now, from the Book of Mormons. But they have, and they understand the Book of Mormons is supposed to be about Jesus after he ascended up into heaven in the, in the Bible, in the Book of Acts. He then came a few years later over to the new land, and there he meant several different types of Indians and preach the gospel to those Indians. But with all the millions of dollars the Mormon church has spent, they have not found one piece of money, not one tribe, not one city, not one area that's described in all their archaeological diggings. They've not found even one. And yet the word of God, 
the Bible, where people have done their archaeological studies, they've not found one thing to disprove what the Bible says, but everything they find only verifies and confirms what God already has in the Word of God. Probably no man had more carefully studied the Bible with reference to its historical accuracy than a professor, George Rawlinson. And here is what he said about this wonderful book. He said, my studies, which have lain for years almost exclusively in the field of ancient history, have convinced me more and more of the thorough truthfulness and faithful accuracy of the historical scriptures. With an intimate knowledge of the whole course of recent cuneiform and hieroglyphical discovery and from advances made in deciphering the Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, and Egyptian records, it is evident that the entire historical framework in which the gospel is said is real and that the facts of its civil history, small and great, are true. A comparison of the Bible's secondary or incidental facts with the history of the times as otherwise known to us reveals an agreement so multitudinous and minute as to constitute an overwhelming argument to the proof of the authenticity of the whole story. You see, the reality is the burden of proof is on the unbelievers to prove that it's false because we've seen over and over again that it has proved itself to be true. The ignorance of foolish men The ignorance of foolish men state that there are errors in the Bible. What I do when somebody says that to me, I hand them my Bible and ask them to show me one. I have yet to have one show me an error in the Word of God that couldn't be easily explained. I mean, some people make up some contradictions in their own mind, but they're not contradictions at all if you've read it and studied it. It is an errorless book so that man may know... God. This isn't a maybe so. This isn't a, well, whatever you think, it doesn't matter. No, it matters greatly what you think and what you believe. This is one of those items that if you're sincerely wrong about, you burn in hell for eternity. You've got to have this right. They don't know God. But see, man's willingly ignorant of all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, go back just a little bit to 1 Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, notice what he says in verse, beginning in verse 2. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of the apostles of our Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now notice, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. They're ignorant of the flood. They're ignorant of creation. They're ignorant of salvation. And they're ignorant of his second coming. For he says, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. 
It doesn't trouble me that it's been quite a while since Jesus ascended and he hadn't come back yet. You start talking about him being gone for 2,000 years, we're pretty close to his coming back. We can see it in the scripture. The Bible tells us that there's no prophecy of Scripture that will want its made. All of them will be fulfilled. And the unbelievers have the great problem of prophecy fulfilled always exactly like the prophecy had spoken over and over again. So they know not the God of the Bible. They're willingly ignorant of Him. I mean, if you just look at the heavens, you can see His eternal power and Godhead. You see the order of the universe and you say, my, that tells me of the eternal power and Godhead. So as the scripture says in Romans chapter 1, they are without excuse. Not only do they not know God, but they don't know eternal life. Why why do so many people think or hope that they have eternal life? You know, this isn't something that you want to just find out at judgment day that you missed it. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Because they had done some religious works, they thought that'd be good enough to get them to heaven. Let me tell you, folks, you don't want to wait till you stand before God at judgment day to find out you were wrong. You're going to get it right. You've got to get it right before you die. Now is the time, as it is appointed, another man wants to die. After this, the judgment. Especially in light of the fact that God has given us his word. He's given his word to tell us who he is. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Or in Isaiah 43, verses 10 and 11, Hear my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. And this one who is God, he's not like, uh, he's not like Zeus, he's not like Thor, he's not like the gods of the Marvel comic books. He is the holy, righteous God who according to Isaiah, when he saw God high and lifted up in Isaiah chapter 6, heard the beasts that were flying in the presence of God cry out, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. 800 years later, when John got a vision of heaven, he saw those angels still flying in the presence of God crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. He is the holy God of heaven. There is none like him. And so you understand what it means, his holiness means. We get an idea from that, from how he looks at sin. For Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 declares, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. His wrath. God's not some old man with a white beard sitting up in heaven and just going, oh, tisk tisk, poor troubled children. No, he looks at man's sin and he hates it. But that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he did something about it for us. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay our sin debt, to satisfy his holiness, that sin must be taken care of. So the scripture says, for God so loved the world, 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, and yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In verse 12, he says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the only place you get eternal life. In Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Even Jesus told the religious Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not, I said unto you, ye must be born again. In the book, Decision Points, written by George W. Bush, he talked about when they were having a meal at Camp David and Billy Graham was there. And the question came up, about salvation at that time George W. Bush was seeking and he asked he asked Billy Graham about being born again and Barbara Bush spoke up and she said well I've just always been a Christian and so later when he was out walking in Camp David and he came upon Billy Graham he asked him the question what about this matter of being born again and then he said this when I read it I'm sorry I got angry But when I read his answer, he said, well, some people like your mother were born Christians. That was a lie. What an apostate. That's not true. And others need an experience. Everybody, according to Jesus, according to this book, everybody needs the experience of the new birth. Without it. You die and go to hell. I don't care how religious you are. You must be born again. The Bible says in John 3, 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In Acts 10, 43, Peter is speaking to the household of Cornelius. And he said to him, to him, to Jesus, Give all the prophets witness that through his name... Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. In John 1, 12, the Bible declares, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Dear friend, don't follow the ignorance of men. The thoughts of men who've come up with their own ideas about how to get to heaven. You trust the word of God and the word of God is plain. There's one way, one way only. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You must have him for salvation or you die lost. When we start talking about the ignorance of foolish men, they don't even know how to live for God. They simply think that God ought to be content with what they think is best for their life. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It says it twice, Proverbs 14:12 and Proverbs 16:25. You don't want to go by your own way. 
The Bible says that he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. You don't want to be trusting your own heart. You've got a problem with your own heart. For the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? There is something you can trust, and that's this book. Just believe it the way it says it. Believe what he says, and you will have all that you need. And you see, the truth is, you come to Christ, that will affect your living. You get born again, he comes in, he changes you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And you get in this book and you find out what is right in God's eyes. Israel's great problem when they got into the promised land was something that God warned them about not to do. He said in the land, he told them in the book of Deuteronomy, they were not to do what was right in their own eyes. They were to do what was right in the eyes of God. So the testimony of the book of Judges after they got into the land and in those days there was no king in Israel. But every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They did exactly the thing God told them not to do. They were to obey his word. They were to follow his word because God's word is always right. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now I said all that to bring us down to this. There are several things in the scripture where God tells us that we are not to be ignorant of certain things. For instance... Concerning the reason for Old Testament history. I want you to turn to it real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God doesn't want us ignorant. He wants us to know. May I say this? I want you to get this. There are no lost books of the Bible. Uh, We've got them all. We've got all the books of the Bible. They're right here. Notice in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Go down to verse 6. He says, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. The things that God recorded in the scripture concerning Israel in the wilderness and also when they got into the land, the things that they did to bring the judgment of God, the reason God included those things in the word of God was so that we of the New Testament times would know not to do the same thing. Because it does anger the Lord. You go down to verse 11. He says, and now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Absolutely amazing to me when I hear some Christians say, when you give them something that God told us not to do, and they say, well, that was in the Old Testament. Yeah, exactly. Why is it in the Old Testament? So that we don't do it too. I mean, really, Huntsvillians, this is not rocket science. Maybe that's why it's the problem for some. Anyway, we move on. Something else he doesn't want us ignorant about. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. God gives different gifts to different Christians. Now, he gives us list of gifts. Matter of fact, he gives us two different lists in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
We also find a list of gifts found in Ephesians chapter 4 and another in Romans chapter 12. So we've got four lists of gifts. Why does God give us four lists? He doesn't want us ignorant about spiritual gifts. What's the purpose of the gifts? The main purpose of the gifts is, number one, that we serve the Lord, that we glorify the Lord, and that we and the church be edified. He said, I don't want you ignorant concerning gifts. Matter of fact, let's take a subject that of the gifts that creates a lot of problem for some reason in some churches, and that's the gift of tongues. God has made very clear in the Bible what tongues are. We've got groups of people that run around the country, and they'll talk about, quote unquote, speaking in tongues. And then they'll get up and speak some kind of gibberish. That's not Bible tongues. That's not what the Bible's talking about when it talks about tongues, and I'm going to prove it to you. Turn over to the book of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, you have that first mention of tongues in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, it is on the day of Pentecost. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they went out on the day of Pentecost preaching... Now, I want you to notice what takes place after they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that... Now, underline the rest of this verse. Every man heard them speak in his own what? That's tongues. Said they were speaking in tongues. What did they hear? They heard every man speak in his own language. You get down to verse 8. He says, and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then you get down to verse, well, we continue reading. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Serene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do, here it is again, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. They not only heard what they said, but they understood what they said and they spoke the wonderful works of God. Now here at Madison Baptist Church, I've often told folks we could win somebody to the Lord on any given Sunday in about 12 to 14 languages. We've got some people that preach that, I'm sorry, not preach, but speak four or five different languages. Now, the main language here, of course, is English. And so he gives us instruction about this in 1 Corinthians, that we are to have an interpreter. If I even brought one of our Spanish in, even though I understand it, and a number of our people understand it, a bunch of you don't. So if I had a Spanish speaker, let's say Brother Jerry came in and had our Spanish pastor preach in Spanish, according to the scripture, I'd have to have an interpreter so that everybody could understand it. If I had somebody get up and speak in uh, the language that the Uguabalams have from back home, one of them would have to interpret for it because none of us would understand it. 
And the Bible says, the Bible makes it very plain in chapter 14. Matter of fact, turn over to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Very clear instruction. He tells us why it is necessary that this language of men that's not understood by the people that are there, that this language of men needs an interpreter. He says this, verse 2, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. You say, see, right there it is. Wait a second. In an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Why? Because nobody else understands it. The only one who understands it is God. Nobody else in the congregation would understand it. Now, notice what he says. He says, for no man understandeth him, howbeit the Spirit speaketh the mysteries. Do you realize if I brought a message, you know, let's say we got somebody who speaks Russian, we got somebody here who speaks, uh, uh, Miss Heather, she speaks Mandarin Chinese. That is right, it's Mandarin, right? Mandarin Chinese. Uh, I don't know what language, uh, we got people speak a lot of different languages here. Uh, but regardless of that, if I got a figure a language that probably nobody knows, don't name it, I'm speaking that right now. Only God would understand it. None of you would understand it. It's why I'd have to have an interpreter. It didn't make any difference if I brought the best message that's ever been preached in the history of the world. If I spoke it in a language nobody understood, it wouldn't do anybody any good. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning the gifts. As a matter of fact, he tells us later in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that tongues is the very least of the gifts. Of all the gifts, it's the very least of the gifts. It's not the most important gift. Everybody doesn't get it. Everybody is not going to have it. And God doesn't want everybody to have it. I'd have, not have you to be ignorant concerning the gifts. Let me give you another one. The rapture of the church, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. Now, the rapture has to do with believers being caught up out of here. It's going to happen. He tells us in 1 Corinthians, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. The moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also would sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself, get this, shall descend from the heavens with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This message is a message of comfort. Don't be ignorant of his coming. He can come today. Paul was looking for his coming, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The church is commanded to be looking for his coming. Bible even ends with, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Today would be wonderful. If not today, I'm going to be looking for him tomorrow. If not tomorrow, I'll be looking for him the next day. But I'm looking for his coming. He said, I don't want you ignorant about this. You get ignorant about it, you fall for all kinds of nonsense that's out there. 
And then about God's timing. Then one is ignorant that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Ignorance of foolish men. There's a lot of foolish men and women out there who are listening to things that man say that may get a crowd but simply are not true. How are you going to know the difference? Right here you go. Get your Bible. Read it. Because this book is given so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know God. It's this book right here. I don't care what else you know. I mean, we got some really smart people here at Madison Baptist Church. Man, we got people, they know all the computer stuff. We've got people that help send people up to the moon. Matter of fact, help send people way out into outer space. We've got people that are really bright. But tell you the best thing about those people that are here at Madison Baptist Church, the thing they know far more important than all that other stuff that they ever learn is they know God. They didn't get that from a university. They got that from God's book. Yes, there's the foolishness of wise men. That's not the problem. It's the foolishness of fools. The ignorance of fools who don't accept the truth of God's word. Friend, have you been born again? If not, you need to come to Jesus Christ today and he will give you eternal life. And then you get in the scripture and find out how the God of heaven wants us to live, that we may be good testimonies for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and bring others to him as well. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your truth. I'm glad you gave us your word or we wouldn't have a clue about how to get to heaven. No way we'd ever, we would ever come up with a plan that we are sinners in need of a savior You did all of that, and I thank God for it. Thank God you're not willing any should perish. So, Lord, if there's any here that's never been born again, I pray that today they would see their need for Jesus and come to him. I pray for believers today that they'll understand. You mean what you say. You give us instruction for those of us who've been saved how to live to please you. So, God, may we not practice the ignorance of foolish men, but be wise. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name.